let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Here's what DC is talking about. Happy Friday, everyone. It's our weekly news roundup. I'm here with CityCast audio producer Julia Karen and with friend of CityCast Hannah Denham from the Washington Business Journal. She is here to talk about everyone's favorite subject, how screwed is Metro? Plus, we'll talk about how many cops DC needs and a summer of bountiful music festivals. Today is Friday, April 21st. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. Hey, Julia, how's it going? It's good. How are you? Good. Hey, Hannah, thank you for being here. Hey, of course. Thanks for having me. So you wrote this week, I think this is your swan song in the Business Journal, if I'm not mistaken. It is. You wrote this week about a subject that makes people's eyes glaze over, but probably ought not to, which is <laughs> the metro funding formula. Can you explain to me what's going on? Yep, absolutely. So my colleague Dan Brindell and I wanted to dig into Metro's fiscal state because it's something that I kept hearing come up um, in every Metro budget meeting Um General Manager and CEO Randy Clark talks about it all the time. Um, Metro leadership is sounding the alarm on this, but it seems like regional leaders maybe aren't paying attention enough to, de to decide on a solution because we don't have one yet. But what we have is that Metro is teetering on a budgetary brink. It's been there since Metro's funding system was designed, but it's gotten a lot worse since the COVID era ridership has, has plummeted. And now what we're looking at is if the region doesn't find a solution to fund Metro's operations, the system will face at least a $500 million gap starting in 2024 that's only projected to get worse in the following years. How do you come up with a budgetary design that is inherently flawed? Like, what is the flaw in this plan? Well, it's interesting because Randy Clark has a copy of this 1976 report commissioned by the Ford Foundation that says the way that this system was designed um, a few years ago is flawed. Financially, we need we need not just to rely on the, the regional jurisdictions to come up with a solution because that's subject to politics that has to be renewed every couple of years. We need something long-term, sustainable. We need dedicated funding that's legislated, can't be changed. But we don't have that. So that's that's the issue here is that every couple of years, you know, with COVID, the federal government stepped in with relief, of course, that helped cover this for the last couple of years. Um, in previous years, there's been other means of funding. Metro has tried to, you know, increase its ridership, get more revenue through advertising and rentals, but it's still not enough to cover this gap, especially as Metro increases its service, it opens new new stations, it which require more service, require more hiring of its workforce. It needs more money, um, is what it says, and there's not enough to go around. Wait, can I back you up for a second? Just so people understand this. 
Metro, like all public transit systems probably in the world, its money comes from a bunch of different places. One is you and me shell out for when we buy our fare cards, but that would not cover the entire expense. So other parts of it are kicked in by government or governments, plural. And in Washington, the metro was built based on a deal between the local governments, the federal government, and the federal government. And But there's not just one local government. There's a number of them. And herein lies the challenge. How is this different? How's Metro different in terms of, I mean, you, you were talking about dedicated funding and so on. What's different about Metro than about your average public transit system? What we've seen is a lot of other transit systems have faced this too and faced this worsening um, in the past couple of years through COVID because of a decline in ridership um, and other revenue forms. What we're seeing is some other systems, like in New York, the governor has proposed to hand out more state aid and use casino taxes to contribute to the system there. In Chicago, the transit system uh, has expanded its revenue through a new sales tax that touches six counties there. Um, and so there are solutions elsewhere, and these transit systems, at least publicly, are saying that these are enough, these are solutions to cover this. But um, locally, it's a little bit different. We've got three main jurisdictions, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, um, that all need to come to the table, and that doesn't happen very often. It's something that we haven't gotten there yet on. So where does Metro generally go from here? Like, they're about to hit this fiscal cliff. They need a solution. Is it just they bring every jurisdiction to a summit and they lock each other in a room for 24 hours and they come up with a solution? Like what happens now? Sure. I think it could look like that. It could look like Randy Clark knocking on politicians' doors. Um, and I know he he is pretty actively involved in, in local and state government. But um, I think what they're saying is, you know, it's it's something that they're trying to be very transparent about, um, of course. You know, they're saying we don't have the funds next year to run the service that we have now. Acknowledging the fact that for a lot of riders, the service currently is not enough. We've seen a lot of reductions over the past few years, a lot of changes. And so to think that that could decline, what they're saying is, you know, if we don't figure this out, if the regional leaders don't figure this out, we're going to have to cut a lot of people from our workforce. That means massive cuts to service. That means entire communities, entire regions in the DMV wouldn't even have access to metro rail and so it would be it would be major um and so i think eventually um people will get it but right now it seems like it's in this committee stage you know people are talking about talking about it but there's no solution on the table wait so we've got like regular we all know far fewer people go into offices than used to and therefore there's a lot less metro ridership uh um that's on the uh, that's on the the pay at the gate side. Uh, is there a bad actor on the government side? I mean, we've got here we've got a, a, a very conservative governor in Virginia who's thinking about running for president. Uh, we have a very progressive governor in Maryland. Um, uh, is there someone who is is there a, a state or a jurisdiction that's you know either you know not pulling their weight or that's talking about like bailing out or changing the terms or something like that? Not necessarily. I mean, when I reached out to, um, you know, I reached out to both the, the, the offices of governor of Virginia, of Maryland, um, reached out to a lot of state reps um, um, and federal 
representatives and and everyone says you know we're talking about it we're figuring it out um but what we're seeing is that the fact that some of them are pointing out that the federal government here is not pulling their weight i wouldn't necessarily call them a bad actor but what we're seeing is that the jurisdictions are contributing some funds for metro's operations the issue is that it's not enough the federal government besides the covid era relief that's about to expire has never contributed um, funds for Metro's operations. And so something that we're seeing a lot of advocacy for um, among um, elected officials is we need the federal government to step in, but we haven't seen that yet. And the Department of Transportation- Are they aware of who controls the Congress? (laughs) Well, that's interesting because yeah, we're seeing seeing that um, discuss. I mean, what we're seeing though is um, it takes- the DC, Maryland, Virginia area is, I think, one political blocker here is that it's a small portion. So why would the whole country want to jump in on something that only affects a small sect of the country, um, even if it is for good use? Um, I think it's something that might be politically difficult, um, is what I've heard from some elected officials um, in Congress. Um, but that could be why we don't have that yet. Um, and, you know, I also, for this story, reached out to the Department of Transportation several times did not did not get an answer. So I don't know where things stand there, but it's a little quiet at least. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in D.C. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow! There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. All right. So speaking of uh, things that involve complicated budget formulas and uh, federal government uh, either assisting or not assisting, we're in a kind of moment of conversation about the D.C. police force, how big it is. It is not as big as it was. Uh, The police chief, uh, Robert J. Conti, uh, said this week that he believes it's the smallest it's been in 50 years. uh, It will fall to about a little more than 3,100 officers by the end of 2024. That's about a little more than 200 less than now. And it's like 500 or 600 less than it was a few years ago. This is a big change, and it's happening at a moment when... Crime has gone way up in D.C. when this is a subject of a lot of people's concern in the district, but also at a time when there's been a kind of national conversation about what represents good policing, what is a worthy investment, and what is not. It's a big old mess. I find this a sort of a really interesting moment. You know, there's a a sort of parallel conversation going on about uh, police officers in public schools. The, The city, after the 2020 protests, had 
voted to phase out this uh, school resource officer program. Now there are calls for it to be uh, not phased out. And one of the things that was interesting to me was that the D.C. council members who represent Ward 7 and 8, which are two of the uh, the most impoverished, uh, most heavily minority wards in the city, are the co-sponsors of an effort to bring back school resource officers. Uh, one of those, which is uh, Vince Gray, who former mayor who represents Ward 7, he also has said he thinks 4,200 like a thousand more than it'll be, is the uh, appropriate size for the Metropolitan Police Department. Um, so DC's not doesn't it's not unique in this way. Police forces and labor forces everywhere have shrunk. This is a problem you have if you run a police force or if you run, you know, a shoe factory post COVID. The, there's a kind of a labor problem. The FOP, the police union, mm. they say, oh, this is all because of these reforms and you're tying our hands and so on. Yeah, I was um, going to say, didn't police union head Gregory Pemberton like testify before Congress and say, like, that's the reason why like crime is up and stuff? Yes. So you have and this is happening at the same time as there's a con another congressional effort to overturn a D.C. law, uh, which is a police reform law that banned certain tactics, chokeholds and so on. And the head of the FOP says this is why. Uh, they're having a uh, retention problem. Th there's other more credible to me arguments that it was straight up budget. They made a decision to shift some money away from MPD towards mental health. And that um, that combined with just the nature of hiring in America has made it really tough. But now they're talking about should we like go all out to staff up? They're offering hiring bonuses and so on. Right. Like they're they're upping the hiring bonuses. So I think it's 20K right now. They're talking about upping it to 25K. Like, I don't know. If I got a 25K signing bonus, like, that would be very nice. Like, do we think that would actually retain more police officers and encourage people to sign up and be like, hey, like, we're getting 25K just for signing up. Like, let's go. I suspect it would. I don't think it would make an enormous difference. Like, 100,000 might. But, <laughs> uh, but look, at I mean, this this question of, like, should we be a country where you know, the default responder to like a, a mental health situation is a police officer. That was like an interesting and worthy conversation. And I think we also, I think when crime goes up, people are anxious and they just want to see more eyes on the street. They would like some of those eyes to be law enforcement. That seems to be the vibe among at least some of the members of the council. And we're in a moment where there's this real, like kind of fairly clear division between like a much more activisty theoretical uh, component in Washington that is like, extra law enforcement, bad, doesn't reduce crime, so on. And other folks who think like actually more bodies around of, of law enforcement is a good thing. And, uh, you know, I think both have some stats at their disposal. One of the things that worries me is like, I don't know, like last time there was an enormous, enormous, enormous hiring binge in the police department a lot of bad apples uh, made it in. I mean, I think one of the things that happens when you try to hire a whole lot in a hurry, I mean, you've got a few variables you can play with. You can offer more money or you can be less choosy. And the second of those options can have disastrous, disastrous results. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it is a tough decision for everyone involved. And, and like, since it is like budget season, I don't know. Like, do we think the police union is going to come back and say, hey, crime is skyrocketing up a little bit. We need to hire more people. Can we get more money in the budget from council to like hire more people so we don't get people who are, you know, in the second category, as you said, like, do we think that this is going to be a budget showdown? 
And then the, that, of course, takes place against a backdrop of, as Hannah was talking about, the cities, there's fewer people coming downtown. The city's tax revenues are uh, have weakened significantly. So they're going to, you know, they're pulling back on budget all over. I think it's 2% for law enforcement. Now you can, so it's weird. Like they, they just don't have that many variables to play with here. All right, let's move on to our next topic. All right, well, Hannah, you were going to be in Birmingham, Alabama, so you'll probably miss all this excitement. But uh, this is going to be a summer of big, frequent music festivals, which Julia has been reading up on and uh, I believe is on the uh, ticket list for. I am on the ticket list. Uh, So like many of you, I tried to get tickets to the Atlantis. I failed spectacularly as I think most of you did. If you didn't spectacularly fail, please tell me because I would like to go to see Foo Fighters. But there are a ton of really cool festivals going on. So like all things go, the ticket presale happened. Did my friends and I sign an entire group of us up for presale? You bet we did. It's a whole thing. We're sorting it out. Who's playing it though? So the set list for this is bonkers. You've got Lana Del Rey, you've got Marilyn Landon, Braggy Rogers, you have Carly Rae Jepsen, who I've seen live at the Anthem, and she is fantastic. Uh, Muna is going to be there. Boy Genius is going to be there. It's going to be very, very good. Uh, Hannah, do any of those names sound like something you're missing out on? I'm definitely considering um, flying back up for Boy Genius <laughs> alone. It looks like an incredible <laughs> we- weekend. <laughs> Here's the thing. Boy Genius is coming twice oh, uh, yes. over the summer. They are part of this Reset DMV lineup. So it's them, Steve Lacey, James Blake, Tori Moy. LCD Sound System is going to be there. Like, yes, sign me up for it. I will spend all of my money to go and see Boy Genius twice. I am happy to do so. Uh, that is my view on this. One thing that I did notice, however, you might remember something in the water happened last summer. You know, the one where Justin Timberlake was like, beat your feet. And no one beat their feet literally at all. And it was a half-hearted effort. That is back in Virginia this year. So if people want to go to that, Hannah, I feel like that is a little bit less of a hectic maneuver than trying to fly back to DC for Boy Genius twice. Yeah, definitely. I'll check out the lineup. That's exciting. Mike, got any concerts you're excited about over the summer? No, <laughs> not not even a little bit. Not even taking your kids to anything. I don't know. Are they interested in stuff? Oh yeah, very eager to see Paramore play. Ooh, um, good um, taste in music from the kids. I have expensive taste, dude. I know, I know, I know. It's expensive, but I bet it's worth it because I bet Haley Williams is really good live. I've never seen her. Hannah, have you seen her? No, live? I haven't. But I'm sure it's incredible. Yeah. All right. So, Mike, your kids are beating us out on something we would both want to see live. So expensive taste, but also good taste. (laughs) Um, All right, you guys. Uh, Well, let's move on to our tip of the day. What do you got, Julia? If you want a library card at the Library of Congress, you can get one and the librarians will help you research anything you want to, including looking at amazing original archive materials. So. Get that sweet, sweet library card at the Library of Congress. It's a very unique library card because reading is what? Fundamental. Just to be clear, you can't take those books home, right? That's true. You cannot. You cannot take them home. So you got to use pen and paper or use your computer to type up notes. Uh, yeah. If you if you try, it will be frowned upon by the authorities. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, listen, thank you, Julia. And thank you, Hannah, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. Uh, um, and good luck with your move. Thank you. Thank you. 
And that's all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilbe. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, tell a music nerd who's probably waiting in a long line for tickets to a music festival. And subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Hannah, do you have a, a DC life hack now that you're leaving? Oh, man. Something that made your life very, very easy and convenient? Oh. Oh.